Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We've got another great one for you today. Our guest is Paula Ferris, an Emmy award-winning journalist. Paula previously was the co-anchor of Good Morning America Weekend Edition, as well as a co-host on The View. She is currently a senior national correspondent at ABC News and host of the popular podcast, Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. She has a book out that Ian will talk about soon, so let's go ahead and get to the host of our show, Ian Cron. Anthony, I love your voice. (laughs) Well, I don't know what to say about that. Thank you very much, Ian. It's too bad the days of FM radio are gone. (laughs) Yeah, Wolfman Jack and all that stuff. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Casey Kasem. Speaking of characters, Tiger King, let's talk about it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) One of the most entertaining and then as it got further and further in, surreal and disturbing shows I have ever seen in my entire life. It's like I said the other day, it's like the show Cops Without the Cops. <laughs> I mean, you just can't believe these people are out in the world doing what they're doing. It goes to show you, man, all kinds of people out there. <laughs> just when you thought everything was getting crazy, it's even crazier than we thought it was. Yeah, yeah. no, I think if we'd gone a couple of more episodes, <laughs> we would have probably hit the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> Oh, man, I've been watching a lot of Netflix, man. Oh, man, you know it. So I'm excited about today's episode. We're talking about the typing interview process. Yes. Yeah, tell us about that a little bit before we get to our guest. Yes. So I am so excited about this episode that we've already recorded with Paula. Um, She's a remarkable person, self-aware, full of really cool, great energy, But when she came on the show, Mm -hmm. she told us, I don't know if I'm a one, a three, or an eight. Right. Right. And, you know, she's a very new student to the Enneagram. Right. Right. So whenever you start an interview that way, you you know that you're going to be spending some time trying to zero in uh, on what that person's type is so that you can, you know, uh, help them potentially or enter into a deeper conversation about what that type is like. Right. So, you know, recently I, I did a workshop on the typing interview process, right? So when you're trying to help another person determine their type, I mean, there's a real protocol for it. There are, there's a real art to it, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to go through all of the, the mechanics of it because that would just take too much time. But I, I think in this particular episode, I really tried to model some of the principles of the typing interview process okay so for those of you who are trying to help others figure out their types let me let me just give you a few hints okay and see if you can't pick them up uh pick up what i'm doing during the show to uh um you know sort of follow these protocols as i go along that's good yeah the most important thing i want people to know is the point of a typing interview is not to nail the person's type so important. Let me just say it again. Mm-hmm. The point is not to nail the person's type. It is to help that person begin a journey of self-discovery. Right. 
Okay. I so love that. The reason that's so important is it takes all the heat off of you as the interviewer. Um, because my job is not during one of our shows to do the big reveal. Right. Absolutely. Right. Now, that's happened before. Mm -hmm. um, and it's amazing when it happens. Amazing when it happens. But you should not assume right. that that's always what's going to happen. And you've said this many times, but the show is about self-discovery. It's about self-awareness. And we use the lens of the Enneagram to help us get there. So even finding your number is a beginning point on the journey itself. Yeah. So you have to see yourself as kind of like a... Uh, an explorer going into uncharted waters. Love that, yeah. And you, you want to leave all your biases behind, kind of clear the decks of what you know you already think that person is, mm -hmm. kind of hold back and just try to ask good questions that um, will unearth things as time goes around, right? So um, the second thing I'd say is, you know, we want to elicit uh, a deeper understanding of what motivates people as we're in conversation with them, right? So you'll notice during this, I'll Paula might say something and I'll say, oh, what does that mean? Mm. Uh, or um, tell me more about that, mm -hmm. um, et cetera, right? Right. And, um, and to have fun with it and just to keep reassuring the person you're with that you're not trying to put them in a box you're trying to as we always say trying to tell them about the box they they're already in and how they can get out I of it love that right? yes yeah and just encourage and then at the end you may get to a place where there are a bunch of numbers you think that person can be mm -hmm. and then you tell them for example gee maybe you ought to check out do a little bit more reading on two sevens and nines i'm making that up right, right. Um, and uh, here, here's, you know, go to the road back to you and read on those three types, or I could recommend right. other resources. Typically I do. And then see which of those really rings for you. And I love how this interview ends, which is, uh, and people will hear this when the time comes. I, I then tell Paula, hey, come back in six months when you've done it. Love and, that. And then let's, let's really talk about what you discovered about yourself. So again, launching the journey of self-discovery. This is a dynamic, fun, exciting uh, journey that I never fail when I do them to feel grateful that I had the chance to be with someone in this way. Yes. I mean, it's, it, it's but knowing it ain't my job yeah. to tell someone their type. And remind everyone, I think you actually maybe say it even in this interview, but remind everyone how long it took for you to find your type. 10 months. Yeah, so there you go. 10 months of reading, talking to people um, that were good teachers. Right. And uh, so, again, you know, the Enneagram is complicated. Human beings are infinitely more complicated than the Enneagram. Right. But our job as people help, if this is what you want to do, help someone to help someone else find their type mm -hmm. is to, you know, ask good questions, mm -hmm. you know. Be familiar with all nine types. Yep. You know, and uh, we should do a whole show sometime on the typing process because uh, it's a lot more complicated than what I'm able to do right now. Sure. But I just wanted to say before we go into this, this this wonderful show with Paula, um, that what's going on here is the typing process. I'm not trying to nail her type. Mm -hmm. My hope is it's I'm 
inspiring her and mm-hmm. motivating her to go on a deeper journey into discovering which is she a one, is she a three, is she an eight, um, and and just also bringing the element of fun into the journey of self-discovery. Love that. Why don't we go ahead and welcome Paula Ferris to the show? You go ahead and make the introductions. Hey, Paula, welcome to Typology. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to the free therapy session. You're going to get one, too. <laughs> but free is not the operative word. Okay. <laughs> Painful? Yeah. No. Painful therapy session? No, no, just that the meter's running. Um, okay, uh, I got it. So I got it. We don't know what you are yet, do we? You, you could be a one, a three, or an eight. These are all floating possibilities for you. It's like my husband says, I'm just a mystery. He tries to figure me out and I tell him, I can't figure myself out. So I don't know how you're going to figure me out. So hopefully you can figure me out, Ian, because, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like depending on the day, depending on the mood I'm in, uh, depending on the season that I can kind of fluctuate between being this high achiever, perfectionist slash challenger if I had three wheels on my car, it'd be a one, three, eight. If I had four, I would say I'd probably have two eights, a three and a one. Um, the older I've gotten in life and more mature and wiser, I don't know if those last two things have happened, but definitely the older I've gotten in life, I feel like I'm more of an eight because I'm more confident in my skin. And while I've always wanted to be that person that, um, while I've always kind of seen myself as that person that questions and challenges authority, sometimes a little too much, uh, I haven't always been the confident, confident enough to walk into that area. So while maybe I've seen myself as more of an eight, I haven't felt confident maybe until the last 10, 15 years of my life or so, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So here actually may be a way of getting to the uh, solving the mystery of Paula Ferris. Um, how are you responding to the coronavirus madness we're in right now? I think it's insane. I think it's a little overboard. I am not the type of person, though, and this may speak to my personality. I don't get freaked out by things. Um, I I like challenge. I like risk. And I think that the people that are, I think there are a lot of folks, yes, this is going to affect us in a multitude of ways. And I don't want to sound um I don't want to sound insensitive to that because I understand that that people are going to look at life and job, career, who they are in such a different way. And I think it's an opportunity for us as a country to unite instead of divide. But I don't I'm not the type of person that has loaded up on 75 rolls of toilet paper. I, you know, I I'm not scared. I kind of my philosophy is. we've all been exposed or probably will be exposed to it. So guess what? The best thing we can do is stay calm. Um, And that that it's one of those things where so much of it is out of your control. Yes, we can control how we wash our hands and how sanitary we are, but I can control the way that I respond to it. I'm not going to respond and panic. I'm going to try to respond in, in, in peace. I'm going to try to respond to the, to the fear with faith. Um, to the crises, I want to try to respond, you know, with calm. Hmm. So I, I'm a big believer, and you can't you can't change the circumstances around you, but you can change, and you can you can control your attitude to it. And I think attitude is ninety percent of of the formula. Hmm. You just had an interesting statement. You said, "I like challenge and risk." Yeah, I do. Like, what? Is, tell me more about that. 
afraid to, um, you know, well, on some hands, my biggest fear is failure. Um, I, I have found that I like, cha- I like change. Um, I'm, I don't like complacency. I say I'm content, but I'm not complacent. I get bored with things very easily. I like to be challenged or I feel a bit lethargic. Um, I like to press in and, and I like to be challenged. I like to challenge others and I like to be challenged. I feel like that's where you get to the gold and that's where you get to the good stuff. And I'm not afraid to take a risk. I mean, we've moved, you look at, um, at, at my life, I, you know, grew up in a small town in Jackson, Michigan. I, I moved away for college. Um, I, my husband and I have moved several times. We moved from Dayton, Ohio, to Cincinnati, Ohio, to Chicago, to New York. So like, we're not afraid to take risk, but we're not going to take that risk if we don't feel like God's in it. So if we don't have a piece about it, we're not just taking a risk to take a risk. We have to, we're going to pray about it and we're going to seek godly advice. We're going to listen to God. We're going to be still. And if we're going to, if we feel that we're called to do something, then we will go, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else, but we feel that, that deep peace within our spirit, that it's the right move to make. Oh, Paula Ferris, we're going to have a very rich conversation here. This is going to be so good because you you have already said a number of things that I'm like, uh oh, oh well, mm, well, it could go this way, it could go that way. This is going to be uh-oh, good. Meaning bad? Oh no, no, meaning really, really good. Um, okay, re- good. Really, really solid. Um, okay, so before we get into trying to figure out, you know, and nailing down what your type is for sure, because I think that'd be really helpful mm-hmm. and fun for our folks too. Um, you have a, a new book dropping in April. Yes. And uh, I want to, I think it might be a great way for people to, to learn about you and your story. If you just talk uh, talk to us a little bit about the book, Called Out mm-hmm. is the name mm-hmm. of the book. Subtitle is why I traded two dream jobs for a life of true calling. So tell mm-hmm. us about, what's, what is, what's the book about? Tell us a little bit about your life story. The book's about who are we outside of what we do, outside of our job. If you think about it in our society, one of the first questions you ask somebody and their name, and then what do you do for a living? You ask your children from the time they can walk, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's baked into our society that our value is our vocation. The book to me, the book is about how I was high charging at the top of my top of my game, at the height of my career, and I burned out. I was leaning into everything the society told me that I should lean into, my my work, my vocation, my calling, my career. And I just flamed out. I I took um, and I took a good look at everything around me. My relationships were failing. My health was failing. My relationship with God was was failing. My professional choices were totally clashing with my personal values. Mm. And uh, the book is about God calling me out of that space. It was difficult because the fear that prevented me from even getting into broadcasting and working my butt off to the top of top of my game where I was the weekend um, co-anchor of Good Morning America and, you know, anchoring Good Morning America during the week and a co-host of The View. I felt like God had called me to do this, but then I burned out and um, and he called me to, to, to step away from that as difficult as it was. Um, and, you know, it, that was difficult because I felt like I'd worked my whole life for this. Um, I'm at the top of my game. I know this is going to be a terrible career move, 
but I had lost sight of who I was. I was addicted to my job and, and everything was falling apart around me. Everyone was getting my leftovers. And once I did walk away from those two dream jobs, I didn't know who I was outside of them. I had a an identity crisis. I didn't know who I was outside of what I did. And there was a lot of shame and guilt in that space because I don't know about you. And, and I was one of those people. And I'm sure there's a lot of you out there listening that say you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who you are as a person. Well, I couldn't even define who I was outside of what I did, let alone the moment I walk away from it. I don't know who I am. And then there's that just guttural guilt of feeling like, why isn't it enough to just be a wife and a mom and a child of God? It's not enough. I need to be attached to something. I need to be attached to this accomplishment and this spotlight and this achievement. And so the book's about God calling me out of the space and then working through that darkness of not knowing who I was outside of what I did and finding what true calling is all about. Mm. Wow, thank you. That's uh, both... uh powerful and revealing you you have helped me hone in a little bit maybe on what your enneagram type is um and by the way it's not unusual for i think numbers like ones threes and eights to kind of get into the mix and gets a little fuzzy to figure out which it is you know um so just by way of uh helping you as a new student of the enneagram to see a the picture all of us contain all nine numbers Okay, so Mm -hmm. you have all nine numbers within you. What determines type is isn't so much what you do as by why you do it. Mm -hmm. What motivates you? What drives you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's your unconscious motivation? What What are the unconscious strategies you're using to get what you want and need in life? Right. Okay. And we've been doing it since we were little little babies, right? I mean, part of its temperament and disposition, part of its cultural, part of its familial, part of its, you know, it's a soup of factors okay. mm-hmm. that that come together to uh, create the unique people that we are. Um, I think, uh, let's just go through the unconscious motivations because you say one, three, or eight. Yes. Um, and I was going to tell you in one sentence or two what the unconscious motivation of each of those types is, and you tell me which of them you most identify with. Okay? Okay. Okay. Right. So for the Enneagram One, the perfectionist, their unconscious motivation is a need to perfect themselves, others, and the world. Okay? Okay. For um, threes... Threes have a compulsive need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. I would say I'm the one in three on that one, not so much the second aspect of it. Okay. Then um, on the eight, it would be a need to assert control and strength over the environment in order to deny and mask weakness from themselves and others. Okay, so I'm supposed to tell you which one I'm most which of those geared three, towards. Yeah, which one sounds most like you? Okay, it, it, explain eight again. It's a it, in order to mask my own weakness and vulnerability. Okay, see, I don't mind being vulnerable. Like I, I think I'm an open book, but I don't like appearing weak, and I don't like to fail. My mm-hmm. biggest fear is failure, okay. and. 
Um, I, Can you give me an example I, of that? Like, what would failure look like to you? Well, failure to me, one of that was one of the big reasons I didn't go into broadcasting. I mean, I was in broadcast production. I worked behind the scenes for years, and it was because I was so scared of failing. I thought that um, I wouldn't know what to say in front of the camera, and if I did, I would just fail spectacularly. So the fear of failure, I feel like that has kind of led me by the the lip most of my life, um, and I've had to push through that. Um, but it's it manifests itself in big ways and small ways. Big ways, I didn't you know I didn't want to be a failure in broadcasting, so I didn't go into broadcasting for a long time. Um, but you know, not trying out for the tennis team because I was scared of failure. Not not doing little things because I'm scared to fail. Um, that it's it's what haunts me, but it's what also kind of motivates me mm. as well. Right. Okay. So um, let me just ask you, I'll just run you through some questions. How's that? Yeah, that sounds great. All let's, right, let's here we do go. that. So um, have you ever been told you're too blunt or aggressive? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want yes. to stop and think about that? <laughs> nope, not at all. I remember, I mean, my nickname growing up was Paula 20 Questions, and I've always just been innately curious, but our neighbor, would, our dear friend would come over, and every time she came over, I would say, I'm gonna, I want to go through your purse. I was like six, seven years old. And every time she came over, I confronted her about the cigarettes in her purse and told her to stop smoking because it was going to kill her. Um, every so, I, I, I'm kind of... It's just just baked into me. I can't. Oh. I can't. I can't escape myself. Even though sometimes I would like to. <laughs> All right. Well, then let me ask you this: Do you? This might be for a broadcast journalist, kind of a rhetorical question. But do you kind of enjoy verbal skirmishing or sparring with people just to see what they're made of? Yes. Yes, I do. In the same breath, I do. I like to. And with my podcast, I have a faith podcast. I love to bring different faiths and different people to the to the table because I think we are so scared to talk to people that we disagree with but I, what I want to do is bring people of that aren't like-minded I love most of my a lot of my friends they don't our ideology doesn't line up I like that I like the challenge I like them to challenge me I like to challenge them you know I think we have to be ready to answer for the hope that's within us in order to do that you need to really dig in why it is you believe what you believe but at the same time have a healthy respect for other people um so yes to that question all right. How do you typically express your anger? Are you uh, someone who is, uh, when you're angry, you're just openly okay with expressing it? Uh, do you tend to repress it? What do you do with anger? What's your relationship oh. like with anger? Would you like to get my husband on the call? Because he could probably <laughs> give a great assessment of it. No, are you, are I you, mean, there is, there's no hesitation. We don't go to bed angry. We work it out. And uh, if there's something bothering me, my husband's usually, he's usually, he's the calm, collected type. He's like, just wait on it. And I'm like, no, I need to get it off my chest now. I need to figure it out. Um, I've, I've sent uh, emails in, in haste and regretted sending them. So yeah, that's, that's my type. I need, to, I need to take care of it now because I can't, it will consume me if I don't try to resolve it right away. Hmm. All right. Well, so here's but, another. But, but but that said, once it's done, it's done. I, I don't care anymore. Let's move on. Stop beating yourself up. Stop beating me up. Let's move on. 
Okay, so you can express your anger and move up. But has anyone ever said to you, okay, we had this argument and then they come back to you two days later and you're like, what argument? That wasn't an argument. That was just a conversation. I mean, they're, yeah, in other words, totally. they felt... I, in t- yeah, they may have felt threatened by it. And I was like, this is just a conversation. You know, my, my, I like the discomfort. I don't, I don't mind it at all. I mean, I worked on The View, for God's sake. So... <laughs> I kind of revel in it. I revel in being challenged and I revel in challenging other people. But I also revel in respect. I think that like that can that can coexist. Like you can coexist with with dissent and respect. That's all that's all mm. works together. Yeah, I so. love that. So are you a detail oriented person? Yes and no. Um I can get caught up in the little details, but um I would say more often than not, uh, no, I'm kind of a go with your gut person. Okay. Uh, so if so I don't have a good feeling about it, then I'm not going to dig into the details. I've never read a manual in my life. Like I just don't understand <laughs> them. I need, I need, I need pictures. I need someone showing me how to do it. I don't like manuals are not my thing. So, right. well, mm-hmm. so yeah. you're, you're mm-hmm. not a micromanager. You're a macro manager. I would say so. Yes. I mean, I, I, now there are things that I can get hung up on, but like, you know, I want to make sure my kids take a bath and brush their teeth every night before they go to bed. Like, so, and I, I will like wake them up if they haven't brushed their teeth. So there are little things I can definitely get hung up on. I I think that maybe because I'm very stubborn and when I get something in my head, it's hard to remove it, but, um, detail oriented, I wouldn't say terribly. So no. Right. Okay, and so are you um, are you wary of people who are super nice? I, uh, yes, I think part of that is my profession. So some of it is is in, baked into my DNA, but part of it is I'm skeptical because of the field that I work in, and I'm just trained to be skeptical. But I do like to believe the good in people. I like to believe the best and. Um, I, I'm the type of person where I can be hard on people, but I'm, I, I will always give them the benefit of the doubt and I'll try to work through the situation. I believe there's, mm. a, I believe there's a resolution for virtually everything. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I believe there, that you can resolve just about everything. And, and mm. getting back to what I, you know, I do for a living, you talk about challenging people. My philosophy has always been when interviewing, I can ask you any question I want. There's no question off the table, but it's just a matter of how I ask it. And I will ask if it's a really tough question. Regardless, I ask my questions respectfully. Mm. I had a conversation with my eight daughter the other day, and she so impressed me. Um, I, you know, she learned the Enneagram from me when she was in her late teens, you know, mm-hmm. and I always say to her, I cannot tell you how much I envy you because I wish I had known I'd had the self-awareness and the self-knowledge that right. you have as a, res- as a result of the Enneagram, you know, and she used, she's a very strong woman, mm-hmm. a very strong woman, right? right? She is fearless. I mean, I, I, I laughed when she, well, kind of laughed, but you, you can imagine when your daughter tells you she's going to, you know, Jordan and uh, to live for three years and 
Syria is next door, and you, you know what I mean. And she's oh, yeah. it doesn't even doesn't even dawn on her that something could go wrong. I no. mean, you know, um, she's fearless, and I love what she'll do sometimes. She's very much a social activist because uh, you know eights are very concerned with themes of justice and fairness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really concerned with justice and fairness, and defending the underdogs. Yes, right. Yep. So she's got a way of talking with people that's respectful, and it. it there's a what what I would call an ironic tone, you know. It's very reconciliatory. Yes. But at, but at the same time, super honest. Yes, it's respectful dissent where you can have a very honest conversation. You can dissent and disagree, but th- what supersedes it is re- a deep level of respect for one another. And I think that that's totally missing in America these days. It's you you have to see my point of view and if you don't you're an idiot or you're a bigot or you are a racist or you're a xenophobe and we're so quick to throw out these labels now people aren't having conversations anymore yeah yeah well it's that's about as toxic as Mm -hmm. the world can get yeah actually and hopefully who knows maybe the coronavirus will go a long way to um or in some way soften and warm our hearts toward one each toward one another that's what i'm hoping we're all in this boat together and we've yeah. been divided for so long. Here's something that can unify us if we do it the right way. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have any doubt about it. Okay, one last question for you on this. Do you make decisions fast from the gut or do you take a long time and deliberate? Uh, it depends. Is it, if, like, is it a prom dress or a wedding dress? Um, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to like the first dress I try on and then I'm going to try on about 10 others just to make sure And then I'm going to come right back to it. But I know in my heart, typically a decision, I'm a go with my gut type of person. And many times that my rationale may seem irrational to some people, but I go with my gut. I pray about it and I wait for a peace from the spirit. I allow God to speak to me through songs and sermons and scriptures, um, through dreams, through other people, trusted people in my life. Um, but I, I, I contend, I, I, I don't like wavering and waffling, like, let's just make a decision. Let's just go with it. So um, I definitely lean towards a go with your gut, uh, rash decision maker. Mm. Well, uh, you know, I think um, what I'm hearing so far between one, three and eight, right, <laughs> um, is... I would now hunker us down again. And by for people listening, I never tell people their type, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I might do is say, well, pay attention to this, read up on that, you know, because it's really the Enneagram is, is a self-verifying kind of an instrument, right? Okay. Only you know, only you know your type, okay? Um, you, you don't have the characteristic features of a lot of what I would call one-ish qualities, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So let me just sort of give you an example of that. Um, for example, um, are, you a, um, are you someone who gets angry when people break or bend the rules? No. I kind of feel that rules are, <laughs> many rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just stop list. right now. <laughs> yeah. I think we can just throw, I think we can throw one right out yes. the window. Yeah, I... Did y'all, yeah, I'm, I, <laughs> unless you're talking about unless you're talking about making sure the kids are bathed and they have their teeth brushed at the end of the night, and then I'm like, nope, we have to do it. And my husband thinks I'm so militant about it, but 
know. Yeah, but there, there are things I get hung up on every now and then. So everybody's got things they get hung up on, right? But okay. I mean, do you flip out if they don't fold the towel correctly and hang it up on the towel rack just 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 right? No, no, I'll do it myself. I'd rather do it myself. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's um, what my hu- my husband says. If you want the laundry done a certain way, then just do it yourself. I'm like, okay, I will. So, th- yeah, I'll just, I'll just do that. I just, I take initiative. I'm proactive. I'll jump in there. And if I want, if I really want it done my way, right. If I want it done my way, I'll do it. I'll do it myself. Right. But do you recognize that there are lots of different ways to do things and yours is just one of many? Sure. Yeah. I do. I respect that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's different ways to do the laundry or to load the dishwasher, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. There are. But right. I do like to fit as many utensils <laughs> and plates in as possible. And yeah. I am known to like dismantle what you just did just because I like to challenge myself and see if I can fit some more stuff in there. So I don't actually have to do the dishes. So Right. Okay. But no one. That, yeah. But yeah. that's not something where people are going like. Like people, you know, like, gosh, can we ever do anything right for you? It's like people don't feel that way around you, do they? No, my husband does. But I think he, you know, I think most husbands feel like that generally with their wives. You know, sometimes I I don't think I don't think we I I, um, build him up as much as I need to. And that's, you know, something that I need to do a better job of. So. All right. So let me ask you this last question, then. What do you have a super active, very loud inner critic that beats you up hard uh-huh yeah you do yeah i do mm-hmm. yes it's weird i'm telling you i i ha- i, I th- and that's i think that's the fear of failure that's the critic um that i have had to overcome but i feel like the older i've gotten that critic has moved further and further in the rearview mirror or further and further behind me so um, yeah, but for so long, it's that critic saying you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. And that's just fear, I think, in general. But I think fear manifests itself in so many different ways. The older the, the older I've gotten, I, I, I will wrestle with fear and the fear of failure, but it doesn't paralyze me like it used to. Hmm. Did you used to um, procrastinate doing things because you were afraid? No, I, I procrastinate because... Um, I feel like my energy, I, I can't like totally focus until the, the very end. And then I'm like, yes. And I think that's why I like TV because there's like these hard deadlines and you have to be ready to go, you know, during your live shot. And there's, um, there's no room for error. And I feel like that's when I'm on top of my game is the mm, last second. So, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fantastic. I mean, um, you do have qualities of one, three and eight. Uh, you're definitely in what we call what what it seems to me. It feels to me like you're definitely what we call one of the assertive types. Or I'm tripolar. Is what you're, you're tripolar? trying to tell me. You're tripolar. Yes, you're I'm tripolar. tripolar. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Three personalities. Well, <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that can happen with eight women, I think, early on, is you know we live in a culture that actually. Uh, if a man is an eight, a strong challenger type, everybody worships them, right? That's what a guy's supposed to be. When mm-hmm. a woman is an eight, people call them a bitch. Yeah, it's right? true. And it's so true. a lot of times women, early on, they, 
um, like my daughter, I think, went through long periods of self-doubt, you know, um, but wouldn't show it to anybody necessarily. Sure. I mean, on the outside, strength. But on the inside, should I, shouldn't I? Is this the right thing? And I think some of that had to do with age. I also think some of it has to do with culture. Like, you know, a woman should know, um, you know, a woman should be soft, nurturing, um, deferential. Uh, these are all those sort of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, breaking down. That, that's an interesting point because you look at my upbringing, it was a very fundamentalist evangelical upbringing where um, like my mom thought that I should be home with the children instead of, and she, she would tell me you should be you know home with the kids and not working. And so much of, I felt like who I was kind of bucked that traditional fundamentalist Christian upbringing, not bucked my faith. I still believe what I believe. But even in the the, the faith circles, you know, the, the evangelical college that I went to, you know, they don't have a lot of females. They, I don't think they have any females teaching in the Bible department. And I think that's a huge injustice. And I told them I won't go back and speak until they do, until things change. You know, there are certain women, they don't believe that women can preach. And I think that that's a load of crap. Um, so, um, a large part, I think part of it was just battling this, um, you know, not the stereotypes, but just battling my own internal DNA with the, the circumstances and the, the belief system that I was raised in, mm. if, that, if that makes sense to oh, you. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Your IEQ 9 test came back as a social 8, am I correct? Yes, I believe that's what it said that you were. Mm-hmm. Now, no test is perfect. And, um, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. Some are good. Some are poorly constructed. Uh, one of the rules I have with people is I say, look, take a test, hold the results lightly, but wait until you've had a chance to sit with someone who's a certified Enneagram, you know, teacher or, you know, master to figure out if you've actually, you know, nailed it right. You feel very social eight to me. Okay. Yeah. I think socially, it definitely brings out the challenger in me. Uh, You know, when I was at The View, I would say my job was to kind of be the devil's advocate. Oh, if you say it's yellow, I'm going to try to prove to you it's red. Right. So, um, and part of that is because I wanted to give a voice to the voiceless, the voices that weren't at the table, um, those that didn't feel like they had, you know, a a voice in the room or a seat at the table. So I, I've, I've always been a challenger in some degrees just because I like to challenge people, but really I like to challenge myself. Hmm. Well, that's all eight material right there. I mean, just, just what you're saying about justice, being a voice for the voiceless, speaking up for the marginalized, people who don't have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of, those are themes that are gigantic in the life of an eight. Okay. Huge. They're really, really big. I'd say another thing, I love what you said, um, I just love challenging people. The other day, um, again, my daughter Kaylee said something amazing. She said, she said um, I'm not arguing with you, I'm just trying to explain why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's Does that good. sound like you? Uh, in many regards, though, I do like to get the last word in, but I 
but I also, um, and part of this is probably just the profession I work in. I, I like to hear your point of view too, and I'll respect it even if I don't believe it. But just because I believe it doesn't mean you're wrong. It means I'm right for myself. It doesn't mean necessarily you're wrong. It just means I've made a choice and you've made a choice. Yeah. And I can respect that choice. But what were you like at 21? 21? You mean last year? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, gosh, that's over tw- two decades ago. Um, 21, I was just graduating from college. So I was, I, I, I think I was finding my voice at that point, but still insecurity. I think the insecurities and the fear of failure were still really paralyzing me at that point. Um, you know, a challenger. Who were you afraid to fail? What was I, I was afraid of failure in general. I was afraid of what people would think of me because, um, you know, growing up in a home where, you know, it, it was a people-pleasing home. And, and uh, my parents are wonderful, wonderful people. My dad passed away last year. But, you know, I would say um, we all, everyone in our family struggles with insecurity in some levels, or in some level, I should say. And, you know, for me, um, you know, growing up in a, in a home like that, you second-guess yourself on, on some occasions. But just I don't know if I was scared of failing other people so much as just failing myself. And mm. cause I, I was, I've always been hard on myself. And I think that that's what drives me as well is I want to be the best. So um, it didn't matter. You know, my mom was like, everything you do work hard is into the Lord. And so when I had, didn't matter what job I had, I mean, I've had cleaning jobs where I was an environmental control engineer, AKA a janitor. Mm. And I, it doesn't matter. I will work hard in whatever capacity because that's just been baked into my DNA. But I also like to work hard and accomplish and achieve because it makes me feel good about myself. Mm. Are you very image conscious? Not terribly, honestly. Like I almost did this interview in a baseball cap, but then I thought <laughs> I should be probably professional. But no, I'm not. I'm not. The bit, the industry that I am in is very image conscious. I don't really care. Okay. I mean, I could wear literally the same shirt and pair of jeans and shoes every day and be content. I don't, I don't, I don't get into the whole, into image and, you know, I do like to look presentable, but um, I'm not really into fashion. I wish I were, but I, my joke is I can't dress myself and I can't dress my house. I'm not, I don't have like that design gene that a lot of people have. I wish I had it, but no, I'm not image conscious. Are you someone that um, really wants, I mean, do you care about impressing people? I care about people liking me, not necessarily about impressing people, because I think impressing people is a very surface, um, that's very surface, but getting people to like you, like I want people to see that I'm a kind person and I am very kind and can be, yes, I can be tough, but um, I have a big heart and I I believe that everyone is, is entitled to a redemption story. I think that you know, we're, this moment we're in in society trying to ruin people instead of rehabilitate, I, I try to see the good in people. And I hope that people will see the good in me despite the many mistakes that I've made along, along the way. Mm, yeah. Well, the, um, the social eight, right? Um, I, sometimes I don't call them the challenger. I call them the protector um, because they're, they're protective of people they love. Um, they are, they're warmer than other kinds of challengers, right? Um, there are some challengers like I would, you know, 
that, that are very aggressive, domineering, blunt, insensitive, steamrollers. You know what I mean? Like they're That's just... That's not me. Right. That's not me. No. No. But, with, but the socially, though it has all this strength and this power and... This um, and they're self-expansive and they are uh, self-extending, right? When you walk into a room, people know you walked into the room. I bet, I bet that's the case, right? When you walk into a space, people can go, "Oh, a large energy just entered the party," you know. <laughs> um, they they can just feel it, right? And um, this that social eight though has a more nurturing quality to it. Um, that's lovely. Um, that it's almost like, have you ever seen, I can't remember the name of that movie about the foot, you know, like you ever had a foot, I mean, a, a coach as a kid who you loved to hate and hated to love because you knew that they were so for you um, mm-hmm, that they could, mm-hmm. they, could, they could get right up in your face. Oh, I know, I know what it is. Have you seen the show Cheer yet? No. Oh, wait, wait. Is that the one on Netflix? I think yes. it is. It's, it's kind of like a pseudo documentary. Yes. Yes. Okay. The coach. The female she, coach. Yes, I think she's right? a so, yeah, I okay. think she has a social eight quality to her. Okay. She's in she's intense, she's strong, um, she's got her opinions, but there's a part of her where her kids will do anything for her because they know she loves them so much. Yes, they'll run through a wall for her. That's that's the type of person that I want to be, and that's the type of person that I like to be led by. Mm-hmm. Is someone who's very strong, who believes the best in me, gets me to see, uh, gets me to believe in myself more than I ever have. And sometimes I feel like they have to see the dream for me before I see it for myself. Um, but someone who inspires and shares the vision with you. So, if I were you, I would continue to really research social eights. Okay. Okay. And then continue to look at three and one. You know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to discount mm-hmm. those. Um, and, and afterwards, when we're done, I can give you the names of some other books. But I really, I really feel that that's probably a, a reasonable guess, you know, mm-hmm. at, at this point. It took me 10 months to figure out my Enneagram type. So it's a really? journey. Oh, yeah. It's a, it, can be okay. a real, it can be a real journey for sure. For a real so you journey. as well were tripolar or oh, bipolar or yeah. whatever, <laughs> oh, some you sort have, of polar. You have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think it definitely sounds like she's in the gut triad somewhere? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So eight nines and ones are in what we call the gut triad. You've thrown okay. the word you've thrown the word gut around about yeah. six times in the course of our conversation, um, and that's another reason I keep zeroing in uh, more into that that triad. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Anyhow, I want to know more uh, about the book. Oh, okay. Um, I want to know more about some of the themes that are going on in it. And uh, uh, I've got some one quote. I want to read something to you. And you just tell me where it was coming from. You said, sure. If it's worth having, it's worth fighting for. It's one of those sayings we've heard ad nauseum, but it's true. Look at your own life. Anything worth having has come from sacrifice, hasn't it? It's true. And sacrifice requires us to step out of our comfort zones and into the hard stuff of life. It requires us to stare down our fears. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think at that point in the book, I was talking about um, my marriage to John. We are we are college sweethearts. We met in 1996. We'll be married 20 years this year. And there was a point where we were separated and we're ready to move on. But I think our faith just really kept us from from doing so. And 
that was a point where I knew that I we needed to fight for it, even though we didn't feel like there was much to fight for. Um, and I'm so glad we did. We we have three beautiful kids, and you know he's the love of my life, and uh, we're great partners. And he makes me laugh, and you know he deals with my challenging nature in a very loving way. <laughs> he's a, he's like he's a perfect yin to my yang. So, but that's what the reference was. It's a quote we hear all the time you know anything worth having is worth fighting for and you look at the most rewarding things that you have done in your life for the rewarding relationships and you weren't on cruise control I mean you had to fight for those relationships you had to go through tough times for those relationships so it was peaks and valleys and so that's what the book's talking about there Mm. so what's the one message you want people to come away from after they read the book i want people to be able to know who they are outside of what they do um like i said our society is so consumed with equating success and value and worth to what we do and our work and our value and our vocation and our and our calling and I want people to be able to know who they are outside of what they do and know what true calling and what what your purpose on this earth is. You know, for me, going through that space where I didn't know who I was outside of my job when I walked away from being an anchor at a, at a major television network and, um, you know, to being a co-host at The View, I you know, for so long, I, I, if I were to introduce myself to you, Ian, I would say I'm Paula. I am a, an anchor at Good Morning America and I'm a co-host at The View. I wasn't able, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to introduce myself outside of what I do. So the book is, it's not just my story, Ian. It's its a reporter's notebook in the sense that I talk to many other people. So it's, it's part interview, it's part observation, and it's part my experience of kind of wrestling with this you know, pushing past the fear to find out who you are, but also to know who you are outside of what you do. My purpose on this earth has nothing to do with with vocation. My purpose is, is to love God and love people. And the way that I'll do that is via vocation. The vocation will change throughout my life, but my purpose never will. And I think for so long, we've confused purpose and calling, especially in the faith circles with career, it's synonymous with what we do. And just to break that cycle, I know who I am now. I am Paula. I am a wife. I'm a mom. I have a child of God. I am curious. I am a questioner. I am a champion of the voiceless. That's who I am. That's never going to change. But notice it has nothing to do with my career. Has n- it, that? This is just who I am am and this is who I will be for the rest of my life regardless of what I do what I do is just the vehicle the conduit by which I will love God and love people okay you're freaking me out why because well you you also have a lot of three qualities (laughs) I mean everything you just said there was like pure three material and like I thought I you know this goes to show people just how complicated and nuanced the Enneagram is so I'm going to run you through just very quickly a group of other questions are you ready yes I am and I want you to answer these questions not as the age you are now but thinking back what was I like at 25 okay so try and answer as a 25 year old Okay. As a 25-year-old? Okay. As a 25-year-old version of yourself, okay? Okay. Okay. It's important for me to come across as a winner. Absolutely. I love walking in a room and knowing I'm making a great first impression on the crowd. Uh, yes and no. 
It doesn't drive Most, me, but yeah. I'm, yeah, but at 25. Yeah. I don't have to be the life of the party. There's, mm. is, that, is that what you're saying? Or no, just, no. It means more like... I just don't uh, want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look like an idiot. Okay. So the keys, these are all overstatements for sake of illustration, but run with it, okay? The keys to happiness are efficiency, productivity, and being acknowledged as the best. Um, it, it, accomplishment. Anything accomplishment, achievement driven yes i feel best about myself when i am accomplishing something throughout the day okay i don't like it when people slow me down uh, no don't get in my way okay i know how to airbrush failure so it looks like success yes although the perfectionist in me doesn't want to just gloss over it like i want to fix it the right way okay I'd rather lead than. I don't fun. like. I don't like shortcuts. If that's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. So you don't. You don't like um, taking shortcuts to get an outcome. Mm-mm. Okay. Unless I'm on the highway. Okay. Then I'll, take a shortcut. <laughs> then I'll definitely take a shortcut. Okay. Um, I can find a way to win over and connect with just about anyone. Yep. Uh, I'm a world champion multitasker. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. I can keep a close watch on how people are responding to me in the moment and sometimes adjust my appearance to win their approval. Yes, but that's the chameleon journalist in me where you have to make people feel comfortable in order to get them to open up to you. But you might have been good at it at 16, though, too, before you were yeah. a journalist. Mm-hmm. Right? People have said I've had good, good intuition and I have, a, I have a knack for making people feel comfortable. Yes. So can you walk into a room and just sort of feel out who's in the room? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And then you can, and if you have to, you know how to work the room, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Okay. But um, I don't always have to be the life of the party. No, that that's your sense. husband. That's your husband, the seven. Yeah. He's Johnny Goodtimes. Yes. I can just, but I can read the room. I have, I feel like I have discernment on another level where I can discern situations yes. and people. So a friend of mine who's in the entertainment business, a very successful uh, artist, likes to say, uh, when I walk on stage, I can hear audience analysis software launch in my head. <laughs> Like, I just know who I have to, I know who I have to become in order to win over the room. Yes, but that's not, that's not um, admitting any sort of inauthenticity. That's just knowing how to tap into people. Okay. All right. Um, Is it hard for you to take, to go on vacation and not take work along? Yes. I mean, although I've been getting better and better at unplugging, but it's hard for me if I've got something on my mind and I, like, I have to do it. Otherwise, okay. it consumes me. All right. So. When, you, when you were 25, was it hard for you to name or access your feelings? I mean, were you just driven Ooh. sort of a type A, go, 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 feelings, slow me down, don't want to spend too much time there? I've never been uh, like super emotional about things. Like I, you know, I, for instance, I had a miscarriage a couple of years ago and I write about it in the book. And one of my coping mechanisms is work which is not healthy, but that's how I cope. I don't really, like, like I said, if I, if something's bothering me, I'll deal with it and I'll move on, but I don't like ruminate in it and I don't get overly emotional about things. Hmm. I just, I, I'm, I, maybe I'm a little callous, uh, 
I don't know. I'm not saying that it's healthy, but it's definitely my approach is just to deal with it and move on. And I'm like, I tell my kids, I'm like, suck it up. You're fine. We'll be okay. Right. You know, um, don't feel sorry for yourself. Mm. So I don't so, feel sorry for myself. Do you ever feel like a phony? No, I'm authentic. Have you always felt that way? Um, I didn't feel like a phony, but I did feel like I, I think maybe early, early on in my life, like probably like those formative years of junior high and high school, I was really trying to figure out who I was. I was a follower, but really I think I was a leader and I just didn't, I just didn't know who I was, but I I don't think anybody really knows who they are, you know, in their teens and early twenties, it kind of evolves. So, um, but no, I, I feel like I'm kind of like, most people, when they meet me, they're like, you're exactly like I thought you would be. I'm a very authentic person. I don't change necessarily. You know, I'll, I will change my approach to get somebody to warm up to me, but that's not going, that doesn't change who I, I'm not going to change who I am or my core values. I'm What you see is what you get. Okay. So I would say you're a three or an eight. And I can't, we don't have enough time for me to tease out the nuances to know, you know know what I'm saying? But you bring a lot of three and eight energy to the table. It's, it's, it's fascinating to, to hear you. Um, And part of it may be, um, you know, life experience just has a way you you get to be in your midlife and it gets a little type can get a little blurry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As I said, we're dominant in one, but we have aspects of all of them. And um, so, sure, there's a part of you that has a perfectionist and a critical voice in your head. Well, every every number has a critical voice in his head. What determines it for the one is it's always there and it's, almost, you know, it's nagging. It's nonstop. It's actually oh, quite, yeah. can be quite unkind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of three energy. You have a lot of eight energy. Um, that social eight, that social eight feels pretty darn good. Um, and, but you've got a lot of three drive, <laughs> a lot of three energy too. So okay. that's, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I love when we have conversations like this with people where we're trying to see the complexity of, of how human beings are made. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk for a minute about your podcast. I want to close up by talking about that a little oh, bit. Oh, sure. Tell sure. people, tell people what it is and what you're trying to accomplish on it. Yeah. So we've done three seasons. It's called Journeys of Faith. Uh, I I started this podcast, you know, when I walked away from my two dream jobs, I, I told, I opened the book by the first line of the book is there's no rational way to kill your career. And this is when I'm having a discussion with the president of ABC News. And I tell him that I want to walk away from anchoring weekends. And I want to walk away from the view, even though I know it's, yeah, it's, even though I know it's kind of crazy, but I just feel like God's calling me to slow down. Now, Ian, what led me to that point was not just looking around at what was happening in the failing relationships around me, but I went through this season within seven months. I had five major events. I had a miscarriage. I had a concussion, which knocked me out of work for three weeks. I had a head-on car crash, and then I had influenza, which turned into pneumonia. And I, it was in that season, I was like, okay, I knew God was trying to get my attention, and I knew I needed to step out into this space, this fear, this unknown. 
but I knew I needed, my job had become an addiction and I was losing sight of what was important. So anyway, I have this conversation with James Goldston, the president of ABC News. And I say, I just, I need to work Monday through Friday. I don't know what that's really going to look like. I just, I'll be a general correspondent now. And I would like to launch a faith podcast. So where I can, uh, an opportunity to talk to influencers and newsmakers of many different faiths about you know, what they believe and why they believe it, how it gets them through the ups and downs of life. Because I know without my faith, I would be nothing. I would be an absolute wreck. Um, I don't even want to think about it, honestly. So I wanted to give people a mainstream platform outside of the nuanced platforms, the, you know, Christian broadcastings of the world and the you know, the, 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 the other, you know, magazines, maybe from the Muslim world or from the Jewish world. I wanted to have a mainstream platform where I could talk to newsmakers and influencers about their faith. Um, and I just did a season with politicians, Republicans and Democrats about how their faith influences their policy and their person. Mm. So it's been, it's been really great. You know, I think they're, they're, it's, you know, part of my nature is to challenge people, but that means challenging myself and I want to learn uh, about other people. I, I think it's important to set an example that you can, uh, dis- you can agree to disagree and you can do so with, with absolute respect for one another, but you can also learn and learning doesn't, learning about somebody else's culture and tradition and what's important to them doesn't mean that um, I'm forsaking what I believe in. It means that I'm listening and I'm respecting them. And it breaks down walls of ignorance and bigotry because uh, you're learning what's important to them and you're showing up as your true self. And I think authentic- authenticity is very important. I show up as my true self at work. Uh, people know you know, what I'm about and I want to know what other people are about. I, I want that to embolden them and empower them to come to the table who they are um, unabashed. Mm, interesting. Well, Paul, this has been a really cool conversation. Um, Yay. Yeah, I have loved being on it with you. And I wish if we'd had a, another hour, I think we could nail this between a three and an eight. There's so much <laughs> There's so much three energy and there's so much eight energy going on at the same time. Sometimes you say things, I mean, feel, I seriously, I have whiplash right now because you'll, <laughs> you'll say one thing, I go, oh my gosh, that's so three, I can't. And then you'll say something else. And I go, well, now we're, now we're thrown into the eight territory. Uh-huh. And, and I love that because... People are murky. We are a mystery. And yep. learning to understand ourselves and know ourselves is a process. It's not something, you know, we can uh, figure out in five seconds, you know. So you spend some time in three and eight. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend a little time just checking out three and eight. Just okay. do, do a little bit of reading three on and three and eight. And Anything then, you recommend? Anything well, you recommend? Well, there's my book. Well, uh, I mean, the, the road that's back to a you. given. That's right. a given. <laughs> that's a given. Uh, then the other one would be, you could read um, Beatrice Chestnut has a book called The Complete Enneagram. Okay. I think my friend has that one. Yeah. Beatrice and, Chestnut, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and read the chapter on threes and eights. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to extract a promise from you. Will you come back on in, say, three to six months after you've had a chance to read that stuff and we can have this conversation again? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would, would love, love to. Because I'd like to it. dig into this. I think once you understand yourself a little bit more, it helps to unleash your powers, your inner, your inner potential and power. So helps you to be the best version of yourself. Absolutely. In fact, 
uh, I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, in, people who lack self-knowledge and self-awareness are generally train wrecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they leave a lot of damage in their wake. And, yes. Um, so the more you can know about yourself, the better off you are. That's right. Well, it's been my pleasure. Anthony, thank you, producer, for connecting us. And, yes. Um, thank you, Paula. Thanks for letting me, thanks for, to, for everyone listening, for letting me talk about my book, too. It's my first book, and I, I appreciate any support you'd give it. So oh, yeah. You excited bet. for it. So listen, everybody, don't forget, in fact, you could pre-order now, I assume. Yes, uh, absolutely. The book called out why I traded two dream jobs for a life of true calling by Paula Ferris. Um, please, please, please do as I am going to do, which is to go on Amazon right now and uh, Thank you. pre-order that, uh, yes. that book and your podcast. Oh, yes. Subscribe, download. And again, like I talk to influencers and newsmakers of, uh, and, you know, there's like, a very diverse crowd. So people, it's, it's an opportunity to see these people in a different light and peel back the layers and hear them talking about something that's important to them, but they haven't been given an opportunity to talk about it before. Yeah. So, so everybody subscribe to Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. She's going to be back on in three to six months from now. Yes. And we... And, and I, I may have some exciting news you know, one of the tenets of being an eight is being a champion and a voice for the voiceless. And I may have some exciting news to share on that, Ooh. in that um, angle. So that's a little teaser. Ooh. Well, we can't Oh, gosh, wait. my phone just... Sorry. I'm crooked now. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Paula, we always, oh. we always sign off with the same words here at Typology. They're the words from the great author Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Thanks, Paula. That's <laughs> so good. Thanks, Anthony. Have a blessed day, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Ciao. Ciao. Bye-bye. See ya.